Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Today I'm very lucky to have my friend and colleague here, Nisha Gill, and we're going to talk about birth trauma today. And Nisha is more than experienced uh, to talk about this subject. It's where she spends a lot of time working with patients. She also works with people around medical trauma, which is how I came across her, going through my own therapeutic journey. Nisha is a somatic experiencing practitioner. She does a lot of work around perinatal support and birth trauma these days, but she has a history in um, allied health. And for the last 15 years, she has really focused on somatic experiencing and complementary therapies to support people through their birth journey. Hi, Nisha. Hello, Kelly. Ah, gosh, (laughs) it's always so good to chat with you and I can't wait to start um, digging a bit deeper in all those topics because we have so many overlapping interests and passions and there's never enough time. So, so happy that we've carved this time out to have a deeper conversation. Me too. There'll be more to come, I'm sure. (laughs) How about we start our conversation? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to land in the place that you are now because you worked as a speech pathologist for a long time didn't you I did did. Mm -hmm. yes so look I guess my journey you know every um, part of our life journey informs the next stage obviously and my um, interest from a very young age was in women and babies actually um couldn't wait to have my own which was um, you know wonderful experience in my life and when I finished schooling there wasn't a lot of choice as well as those interests I was very um, keen to work in a more holistic way so when I um, was out there trying to work out where I fit in what my passions were Certainly um, where I ended up for 30 years, would you believe, really wasn't something that lit me up in speech pathology, working in aged care and rehabilitation. I mean, of course, I learned a lot about uh, people and myself, of course, in the bargain. But about 17 years ago, I guess I took the plunge and decided I really couldn't um, keep going. It was becoming too toxic for my own uh, well-being to work in that very structured medicalized setting and um, started to train in a variety of bodywork um, approaches, counseling and worked in those fields for a while and then just over a decade ago I stumbled across a teacher of female embodiment uh, in the days when feminine embodiment wasn't even the thing you know it was <laughs> she was quite pioneering actually and um, she taught a version of women's tantric yoga and it was also a point in my life where I was trying to 
understand the power of my sexuality. I've always been very in touch with it from an early age. And it kind of <laughs> opened up paths in my life. My sexuality kind of led the way to decisions I made and choices I made. So I wanted to really understand that, perhaps tame it a little bit. <laughs> um, and that was such a pivotal uh, journey for me meeting this teacher and then training in her approach where I would be holding space for small groups of women. A lot of them, you know, would have uh, elements of trauma surfacing. Yeah. And as well as that, I realized how powerful these practices were as birth preparation because the focus yeah. was on getting really primal. So that period of my life about a decade ago actually pivoted, uh, catapulted me and helped me pivot into the birthing and trauma worlds with further trainings, lots of different trainings. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so then you went and studied somatic experiencing or how did you get into the, like, what was your first, where did you drop your toes when it came to trauma? Well, I had the idea because I was quite immersed in the birthing world as a birth educator and doula. I had the idea I'd specialise in birth trauma. Yeah. I was very fortunate. My main somatic experiencing teacher um, had a bodywork, um, perinatal and sexuality background, and that combination was where my focus and interests really lie. But as I've um, always done, I put my shingle out there and I just flow with whoever I attract. And yeah. essentially, it is a big cohort of women um, women with a developmental trauma, so early trauma. Yeah. So it's very layered and complex. And then some of those um, that come maybe more for birth trauma or sexual, sexual trauma and, you know, sexuality um, issues in later life, will have some layers of developmental trauma as we start to dig deeper anyway. Not always, but often there are going to be some um, other things to unpack from their early years. Yeah. So essentially, I guess my focus now is on um, birth sexuality, developmental and medical trauma, or anyone going through major life transition where they're feeling disconnected from their body because this uh, split between mind and body is so arbitrary, but actually getting people to understand that in a very experiential way, I guess, is yeah. where my focus is. And um, as you've experienced, if I can share, um, yeah. just that prospective preparation, whether it is for surgery or medical procedures, someone I worked with the other day, um, a job interview, um, an exam, things like that can also, or birth, birth is so huge. Yeah. preparation through the body in a very embodied way um, is also where I love pitching it because then that becomes more preventative and I, I like working at that end rather than picking up the pieces with yeah yeah afterwards well you're also giving people skills aren't you to help them in their life so yes life skills that you know we should have all been taught way way back and as children and yeah um, I'm just so pleased my one of my sons is really interested in all of this now, this just nervous system yeah. um, um, intelligence, if you like, and understanding how we tick essentially as mammals before we're these um, sophisticated 21st century beings yeah. that we think we are. Exactly. 
Yeah. So it might be helpful to get a little bit of a definition around trauma. Do you want to explain the difference between, because there's lots of terms that we talk about PTSD, CPTSD, we talk about attachment trauma, developmental trauma, and some of them are the same things, but not everyone knows that. So do you want to just break it down so people understand what we're talking about? Yes, yes. Look, I think partly it it uh, depends on which um, lens you use. And mine yeah. is very much a neurophysiological lens yeah. based on um, the polyvagal theory mainly and my training in SC or somatic experiencing um, where, you know, it is a more holistic body-mind kind of definition. So this idea that um, it's the result of something that happened that was too much um, for us to deal with out of our, what I loosely call coping bandwidth, something that happened um, where we didn't have the time to process and integrate or came at us too suddenly. We didn't see it coming. We didn't have that preparedness in our bodies and nervous systems. Um, and that all affects integration, but also, you know, the sense of, and incompleteness in the system. So there are so many reasons we override that completion, like in a mammalian threat response, as um, my training suggests, there is this sense of um, having that high charge in your nervous system, but then having the time to actually um, come off that high charge. And some of the ways our body does that might be with shaking and trembling and crying and all kinds of autonomic um, nervous system responses but in modern life we tend to shut some of these down we mm -hmm. think it's very odd to be trembling shaking or you know a lot of us suppress emotions um, jump on the horse proverbial horse and keep galloping um, you know <laughs> big boys don't cry all of these these messages that we get as children and then becomes our default way of dealing with life and actually um, can set us up for um, dysregulated nervous systems because it's kind of suppressing what the body naturally wants to do and our autonomic nervous system underlies all of our function essentially you know it controls the heart rate breath and all of those very basic functions and in a very intricate way body parts speaking to one another and uh, the threat could be physical psycho-emotional could be combination could be real but it could also be perception so mm -hmm. based on our past experiences we start to anticipate that certain um, environments or people might be unsafe and safety underlies all of that so the responses are very much based upon how we perceive ourselves to be safe or not safe and somewhere in between also um, it can be a very fragmenting and isolating experience because um, when we're in survival physiology, our um, uh, conscious memories are more difficult to lay down than our um, more somatic or implicit memories, somatic and emotional memories tend to um, be um, the ones that stick but they are also um, a little bit less predictable as to how they then emerge at a later time. So with triggers, you know, post-trauma, often they're very sensory based. Um, so it could um, sort of link back to the experience through the sense of smell or um, touch or some visual um, reminder, um, for instance. And the big part about trauma, it's a, a process of disembodiment so 
because our body becomes a kind of war zone, you know, it's so uncomfortable to live with those un, um, feelings and sensations that arise when we're feeling triggered, then there's this um, uh, tendency to step outside of our body in varying degrees. Um, and that's a way of managing and, and continuing on in life, a kind of a coping strategy. But it also is, um, you know, what underlies a connection with ourselves, with other people, with our own pleasure, with our vitality, all of those things. So, yeah, it's a very much a disembodiment process yeah. as well. And it can really, I mean, I often explain when I'm coaching or teaching people, it shows up in so many different ways in our, you know, in our, our health and well-being and yeah. um, in our resilience, in our in, in impacts on our connection with our emotions, mm. um, how we react. So that's what you were just talking about then in terms of the triggers. Mm. So I think, you know, that nervous system repair work, I, I've just been doing a, a six-week course and every time we'd come back to something, you know, the nervous system comes into play all the time. So we might be talking about sensuality or femininity or um, our intuition. And, yeah, it's there all the time, the trauma. Mm -hmm. And to go back to your original question about, um, um, so you talked about developmental versus attachment trauma. So that's a recent definition I heard was, Developmental is often within the first three years of life where there is um, less, you know, in our um, left hemispheres, our, our neocortices are less developed. So the memories are typically um, more implicit. It's more of a wordless space. Well, babies do start talking by about one, but, you know, often the memories are not as clear as um, beyond that age of three-ish. Um, and attachment trauma, I suppose, um, is highlighting the patterns that we have taken on from those early experiences, the imprints that we receive because of misattunements or outright neglect, abuse, and all of those experiences that children can have. Mm. Um, so uh, complex PTSD is, um, or P even PTSD, uh, is based on the... Um, American Psychiatric Association definition from the um, DSM or uh, Statistical Manual um, that kind of categorizes uh, various illnesses, diseases, um, conditions. And so it's a very medical model definition. Yeah. And to me, it's, um, it's a little bit too prescriptive it's a little bit too much like here's the cutoff point yeah and essentially trauma is on a spectrum like uh, you know some would argue to be human is to experience some level of trauma and it is a heavy word so i guess um you could say unresolved challenge that remains in the body at some level in the nervous system or um, overwhelming experience if you want a softer version but it's still significant you know it's layer upon layer and um, it's that sense of the more cumulative stress toxic stress we have in our system that's um, adding to the last bundle and the last bundle be before that then the smaller our coping bandwidth our what's also known as a window of tolerance or I like the um, positive spin window of presence, functional range, yeah. um, then it takes less, understandably, 
for us to be tipped out of that range with minor, <laughs> a minor stimulation along the way. So, you know, um, and of course, things like sleep deprivation and where you are in your menstrual cycle, how you're going through menopause, all those things are going to add to <laughs> your coping bandwidth or to detract from it. But essentially, trauma will certainly do that. Yeah. Developmental trauma, that can even occur in the womb, can it? It can, can it? Yes, and I mean, in the somatic trauma world, that's, uh, that um, is described as pre and perinatal, essentially, um, because there's a whole uh, branch of specialisation in that area itself, which is also one of my passions, growing passions at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's talk about birth trauma. So where to start? Because it's so interesting. So I probably became interested in this about six or seven years ago I think because I was coaching someone who I realized had it and at that stage was just starting to learn about somatic experiencing so you know where do you send someone but what I've noticed because I coach so many people in the middle stage of their life and that's such a massive transition is there are a lot of people who have had traumatic birth experiences and have just kind of moved on from it and coping but really struggling and you know 10 or 15 years down the track and they start going through menopause and it comes back up again or some developmental trauma comes back up again because that you know our psyches well our whole body has this amazing resilience and need to heal itself mm -hmm. So where do we start with it? But let's have a conversation about it and perhaps help people understand what it is and how would they know that they even have birth trauma? Like how, what might they experience? It's a big topic. It's a big topic. So um, where to start? So just that link with menopause and um, the past catching up with people. There is a saying in, in the perinatal field, uh, especially with a lot more focus on the postpartum and how well or not women look after themselves and what they feel there um, is asking for too much support, especially in this day and age of us strong, independent women. And, you know, you don't you don't um, you don't uh, open yourself to receiving because you have to then reciprocate and um, all of those kinds of conversations that go on in people's head. But there's a saying even from ancient traditions that if you don't um, rest as your body really needs to after this huge journey of birth, then you're going to pay the price further down and decades on and often it catches up in big transitions like menopause so there's a saying 40 days for 40 years in other words rest really rest for those 40 days because it's going to impact on your health and well-being essentially for the rest of your life where you can say but it will show up in those big moments I think trauma like grief has that tendency to to really rear its head and yes definitely um, bringing um, that conversation into unresolved prior trauma into birth. Um, with a lot of my work in the birth trauma field, because I do speak with birth workers and body workers around trauma-sensitive care, the focus tends to be so much on the broken system. And yes, it has a big bearing, 
But my focus is on what can we do to change and where can we pitch it in a preventative way. And a lot of that is also what's unresolved in our system. What do we bring to birth? Are we aware of our attachment styles, our wounding from early years? Do we even know what our own birth experience was? How's that going to play out? The implicit memories of that, how they're going to arise in birth or our partners. And then it also extends to the birthing team because, um, you know, midwives, doulas, obstetricians have their own histories and yeah. they can play out quite subtly and not so subtly as I've um, witnessed as a doula. Um, yeah. And so birth trauma, I guess, is any overwhelming experience once again in that perinatal time, whether it's pregnancy or close to birth, birth and in the early postpartum where... Um, there is not that resetting of the nervous system and opportunity to actually even have that conversation. This is all normal. Let's just validate it. Um, but because it's um, such a busy time, the focus is on the baby being healthy and well and um, isn't he or she beautiful. The mother can get left behind the birthing person. Mm. And, um and so, you know, this sense of, well, let's just uh, grin and bear it or cope with it or or in other settings, it can be if I own up to how awful I'm feeling, I've got all these um, obsessive compulsive behaviors arising or uh, deep depression, just don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to connect with my baby because baby's reminding me of the birth. Well, I'm not going to own up to this because they might take my baby away. They might separate us. They might think I'm not a good enough mother. And in that very tender place of the postpartum, all those thoughts can, you know how it is if you wake, wake up in the middle of the night, everything gets amplified if you have ideas or, or thoughts or fears even, which is what these would be, then it becomes pretty scary and a pretty lonely place to be in that um, space because already bodies minds emotions uh, energy bodies going through so much in that space and then the feeling of wow can I cope with one more thing when I don't even know what it is am I going crazy it's it's horrendously um sad actually and and the the um statistic that's bandied around is about 30 to 34 percent of all births are described as traumatic to me that's really the tip of the iceberg it really depends on your definition of trauma wow okay yeah and can I just say because you and I are in, in Australia the um, figure for undisturbed birth to the blueprint you know to the mammalian blueprint of um, physiological birth where there is no intervention at all um, not even things like breaking the waters um, or coach pushing those kinds of things is uh about two to five percent and that includes the roadside births that happen too fast <laughs> so if you consider that you know about 95 percent of birth there is some level of intervention yeah and intervention is highly co correlated with trauma because there's a loss of control there's that whole thing of too much too fast too soon mm. um then yeah we are really up against um a, a big sort of ride to correct this this anomaly in in human evolution because it affects babies you know how they they come into the world i strongly believe it sets the blue the the imprint for 
how they're wired, how the brain develops from there on. Absolutely. Actually, when I did um, my podcast with Sasha Cueto the other week, we were talking about this and what did she said it's the oracle for their life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it stands to reason, you know, the earlier the imprint, the stronger the impact. And it's hard to do um, double-blind control studies on this, but we we at least have the ACEs, you know, the Adverse Childhood Events Study to go on, and that 17,000 cohort um, that they looked at. And to me, all of that translates. It's it's always on a spectrum. And I have a colleague, an SE colleague, who's done this on uh, babyhood experiences. So she's extrapolated back. It's not a, not a study, but she's looked at, um, not a formalised study yet, but she's looking closely at um, earlier trauma and how that impacts on lifelong health and well-being. Mm, so yeah. interesting. And so somatic experiencing as a therapeutic um, modality to work with it, perhaps let's talk, I mean, somatic means body. So let's talk about what that is and, you know, mm. what, what happens when someone comes and works with you what would they experience because most people in my experience you know they they kind of understand talk therapy because they see it on tv mm-hmm. when you know even doctors that i've worked with during my t- treatment when i was saying to them that i was having somatic experience they were like what is that so mm-hmm. yeah can we talk a little bit about that so people have a bit of a picture of Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, it, you know, it, it's um, a bit of a mystery until you've experienced it. And also to say that it's an approach, it's not a pres- prescriptive approach. So all of us have trained use it through the lens of what we already do. So yes, there's medical practitioners, there's um, lots of psychotherapists, body workers, art therapists, dentists. Um, I was training with a um, OBGYN. Um, and so it's bringing this understanding that um, that safety underlies all of our functioning. So when we are uh, not feeling safe, there's going to be some kind of reverberation in our system, our autonomic nervous system, and then that um, dictates how we respond. So SE is, um, it t- took me about three years to train, not because the content was... Um, Um, cognitively challenging so much as it was a rewiring process of my own nervous system by having lots of stable nervous systems in the training, lots of um, assistants who'd been working in that field for a while to co-regulate our student nervous systems with so that we, by just being in the same space, start to to find a new way of being that was not... um, based on our survival patterns as much um, so it's the um, creation of Peter Levine who uh, is based in the US and has um, drawn from, from a lot of different modalities um, in the mind-body field I think he's got two doctorates in various um, you know um, uh, scientific um, fields And he based it on looking at mammals in the wild and how they tend not to be traumatized like us humans. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, it's because we tend to override the completion responses or we don't get the opportunity for whatever reason. Um, And so it's a very nuanced and subtle, gentle approach 
But as you, you've experienced, it's not about cotton wooling the person either. It's about trying to find their edges, their coping bandwidth and stretching towards those edges without tipping out of that range. So it's quite the antithesis of exposure therapy where you kind of just jump in the deep end and you have a cathartic experience. The idea is to keep the adult witness present and grounded while the younger version, where it, whether it was two weeks younger, whether it was 50 years younger version of you can have their experience as well. And then the, um, it's, it's described as a bottom-up, top-down approach. So it's not just body, not just mind, but integrating that conversation to bring a bit more coherence between all the working parts. And th there is a saying, um, slower is faster in this field and less is more. So we, the idea that we um, really take it at, at a slow pace to help with that integration. So we don't tip out of that coping range. Um, however, with a lot of my new clients with developmental trauma, they've lived in these bodies for so long and they're just so over it. They want wow. generally a quick fix and they soon learn that it's just not, there is no pot of gold there. <laughs> there is no approach that's going to give them that. Um, and in terms of... Um, the content and the story, the narrative around the trauma, it's important for context. But, you know, in my initial consult form, I say, okay, well, um, there's a section on trauma, but I always spell out, please don't go into the details because that in itself can be re-traumatizing, telling your story over and over again. And so my process of getting to know my clients happens over sessions, not just one or two, because we need to have those baby steps to explore that material, if at all. It, I mean, it's material, it's um, significant, but it's not where the, um, shall I say, the, the um, reversal of symptoms lie. We're working very much at um, body sensation level, um, emotional level. Um, so we keep referring back to the body rather than the memory of what happened and why and who was there. And that can come into things as we're doing very specific repair. So, you know, with a single incident or shock trauma, it's a different approach to working with um, multiple layers like developmental or trauma with say birth trauma, or another incident in one's life. And that uh, sense of also creating safety and a safe space a safe location virtually inside your own body as a reference point so resourcing. It, yes resourcing um but it may not be internal initially because for some people just yeah. any kind of access to body is too scary um so that some people just can't they can't it's nothing you know they can't find yeah. at all yeah they just have a blank or they're completely dissociated from their bodies. So coming back and forth between those safe spaces, like the safe shore to little steps towards the traumatic material or the unsafe places, the racing heartbeat, or if you were to talk about a particular time in your life, it might bring up, you know, all those autonomic changes like your racing heartbeat and your shallow breathing. And so we don't go too far into that territory. We pull back and we go 
it's called pendulation, as you you know, and, and that sort of back and forth. The more we can do that, the, the more um, uncomfortable feelings and sensations we can deal with without actually tipping out of our range. Of course, then they don't become uncomfortable. They don't remain uncomfortable. We start to be able to tolerate a lot more. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. back to birth trauma a little bit. How would someone know that they had it? What would be some of the signs... Well, the big ones, um, you know, depression and anxiety, I think, are often in the postpartum misdiagnosis, standalone garden variety, depression, anxiety, if there's such a thing. Often there are signs of trauma, they're symptoms of trauma. Um, and so one is a hyper aroused state and the other is hypo aroused, more like the freeze and dissociation response. Um, they can be certainly um, present in combination or one or the other, typically in combination. Sleep disturbances, avoidance, um, emotional flooding, um, that hypervigilance, not wanting to let go of baby or not wanting to bond with baby, mm. but just not feeling quite right in their body or disconnected. Of course, teasing out what is birth itself as in the big journey of birth, no matter how blissful it was, versus um and you know just bodies coming back into into their own and no longer having two beings that one body is responsible for to coming back to being in your body again as a woman is yeah. a big journey in itself but then um having the layer of trauma on top of that can be difficult to tease out and especially for a first-time parent a mother um what's what's actually birth in general and what is actually this difficult experience that I had um, so it can be tricky I do have a little quiz of course not standardized on my website for people to get a little bit of a sense that these are typical symptoms and where do they fall in that uh, in those categories I think a big part is also the isolation and and the freeze response far more prevalent in all kinds of trauma so because it's insidious, because it's such a, it's a bit like a diabetic going into a bit of a hypo state, you can't, your neocortex is not there as a witness to see you doing that, can be um, something that just someone slips into, it's very hard for them to monitor where they're at on that path, so it is about people around them often picking these signs up, but um very much that isolation can set in which yeah. is where I'm passionate about really catching these things early and normalizing and having a space to to talk about them and yeah. um, making it all okay in some way I think also there's so many unrealistic expectations of coming back to normal so yeah. I did a, a webinar Belinda Hahn is a friend has a group online group called the motherhood gathering mm -hmm. and they only talk about it's about matrescence about becoming a mother they don't talk about the baby so they talk about all the emotions everything it's actually a really lovely forum and I did a webinar with her for them around sexuality post-birth and I think you know there's an enormous amount of pressure and you see all the stuff in the media for women to be back to normal within two weeks and it's so unrealistic and yeah it's, harm, it's harmful and it is harmful incredibly yeah. harmful yeah. 
damaging and then there's all this stuff that no one talks about like sexuality post-birth and how the rhythms of your sexuality and your desire change and they will change throughout your life and no one really talks to women about that no one talks Mm. to them about you know that sometimes you know part like the whole birthing you're in a mother is actually a really long and hard process and it takes a couple of years to do it Mm. and so they're dealing with all of that as well and there's just so much change going on and they're incredibly vulnerable and like you said on their own a lot of the time mm, mm, so, absolutely. yes yeah um, yeah it's it's hard to know is it supposed to feel like this or mm, mm. and with the sexuality piece because i do speak with um couples when there is a reactivity in the nervous system um post-birth no matter if they describe it as traumatic or anyone else does when this is kind of um protective response um in the female body because they're still recovering from a fairly you know um uh, sure i don't like using words like normal but uneventful birth in the sense of no major tears and physiotomies and cesareans and all of those interventions but still recovery and the six week mark that is picked by the medical fraternity, let's face it. And, you know, it's also um, in many circles, then um, the partner's eyes light up. Oh, so that means we can start doing it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of lack of awareness of what it all means. And, and so then if you add more significant um, procedures and impact on the body, even the physical body, let alone the, uh, the rest in a trauma response and of course there's going to be some defensiveness and reactivity and that then becomes a pattern um, between the couple the, the two individuals where you know just that look or that touch on the lower back of of, of the mother or even a touch I've got clients that just don't want to be touched anymore and it's so sad and heartbreaking to see because they dearly want to connect but they just have lost their way and they don't know how to get back on track again and so when when I you know um, describe do the psychoeducation around the nervous system and why it's happening it's not it's not about her not wanting to um, have you back as a you know intimate partner and all of this well choosing my words carefully because um, partners can feel very threatened in that space um, and seeing it as a nervous system survival response that is actually valuable it is valuable because maybe she her body's actually just not ready um, and it would be doing more harm than good to connect just for the sake of connecting when bodies aren't ready Um, in any case what it does is take away a lot of the self blame the guilt the the shame such a big part of trauma responses as well that embodied shame and it can just kind of kind of give them that sigh of relief okay it's not not forever it's not just me it's it's a common thing and and to kind of take away some of that charge out of that dynamic and then find also the you know from the intention the desire to connect intimately to this penis and vagina sex which is 
the conditioned version of what sex is there's a huge playground and how can you just use sensuality and connection exactly. and heart connection to start to reconnect in that way um and i will be referring more and more people to you kelly for some of that because i can only do so much but it's a conversation i do start well, having with my also you know i say to many people like rest is part of your erotic practice absolutely yeah <laughs> um, yeah because you know from a work perspective just on 24 7 and that's not sustainable to most women let alone pregnant women or women going through menopause or you know dealing with health issues mm. because mm. our bodies are, are cyclical and rhythmic mm. and i'm always saying to clients you know it's okay when you have your period if you rest for a few days and don't do much or yeah. you know, like we all need these periods of rest and just mm. constant on is not great for female bodies Mm. because essentially you know if you're doing the attachment parenting thing you are on 25 hours of the day anyway you're kind of available to another human you're you're like the outsourced nervous system to this little baby like co-regulating mm. trying to get it adjust and welcome into the world and that takes up an enormous amount of energy it's exhausting mm. 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 teaching it how to soothe and yeah so and letting go of our linear <laughs> reality, you know, to completely, <laughs> complete, well, let's face it, chaos in a way, because we, we cannot predict moment to moment um, what our babies are going to need and want. And, and if it's a new human, they're learning about you and you're learning about them, it's always going to be in, uh, a mystery, let's just say. <laughs> always, I always say to friends who are new parents, well, you're always learning them. You're always learning yes. all the time because you just feel like you get them nutted and then they learn something new and then that's <laughs> and that doesn't change. Even when they're like 15 and 16, they're always learning new stuff about life and then they change. So you know, just those simple words and people are like, ah, oh, yeah, well, because that's what we're like as humans. We're always learning and growing until, you know, the day that we die. We're not supposed to stay the same all the time. Yeah, yeah. The essence of ourselves, but... For some reason that linear thinking gets in the way and and I guess you know there's that propensity to try and control stuff that a lot of people have and you just can't control babies you can't control body rhythms and mm. yeah sometimes I'm speaking to women who are going through their middle passage transition and you know we talk might talk about part of the work that I do with them is about understanding their journey like their transition journey in life like well what how have you coped with change through your life like when you were younger when you started menstruating what was your experience of that when you went through birth what was your experience of that so they can start to reflect and maybe observe some patterns within themselves of how they learn how they integrate new information how they practice new ways of doing things is there a, a way to change? And so sometimes we talk about birth trauma and I see women and they go, hmm, yeah, I reckon, you know, I, I think I did have a really tough time in birth, but, you know, they just kind of packed it down in a way, so disassociated. That might be something that I need to work on. And so back to your point of, I guess, the 40 days for 40 years, 
it's never too early to start really is it or oh, never too late <laughs> no 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 I've had I've had women in their 50s come uh, about the issue of birth trauma yeah absolutely so as they say the body doesn't remember and it's that thing of building um, charge upon charge as it's unresolved you know it, it just continues on it's a bit like as I said a bit like grief if you don't actually deal with it at some level then it kind of comes back as a bit of a tsunami in those more tender stages when we're dealing with a lot like menopause, mm. a lot of changes, a lot of, um, on all levels, um, yeah, it's bound to, some something from the past is bound to rear its head. And, I mean, I've been through menopause about 10 years ago, and I guess it's like this opportunity to just, as you know, <laughs> to cull whatever didn't get sorted in, in the last um, phase of our lives and uh, oh we were just too busy we didn't have the space and time so yeah. yes it can come up yeah. and you know the thing I love about both birth and trauma work is that it's such a opportunity to deepen that connection with ourselves such a, a sort of evolutionary journey in our own lives yeah. um, if we take those opportunities if we're not just pathologizing and and um, becoming afraid of all the things that are going on know that there are lots of people before us who've been through them and found the right tools or the right support in their lives to just kind of nudge them in a, a way that they can manage those themselves and you know um, have it as a an empowering stage I'll just pipe in with this when I was going through menopause and I did get a few hot flashes I saw a wise woman body worker kind of person who said well why don't you just reframe them as um power surges and I did and they just had a whole different flavor you know like I, I really didn't resist them anymore I thought yes that feels right to me yeah, I mean I was talking to a, a colleague the other day who's having a terrible time with night sweats and I said, oh, well, it's just your kundalini energy is changing direction in your body, right? So um, it's the same energy as an orgasm or a contraction in birth. And she was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> you know, and obviously there's something going on at your nervous system level because you're having them and then you're like, your nervous system's like, whoa, what's going on? This feels a bit scary. And I said, so you want to just calm it down a little bit and you can do that through breath. So whatever feels comfortable for you, from a breath perspective, because, you know, some deep breaths can be challenging for some people, but just breathing, you know, consciously breathing. So the next time you have one, think, cool, this is like awesome energy, like power surge or orgasm energy, whatever you want to frame it as. How clever is my body? And secondly, just breathe. Anyway, I saw her, like, I've seen her sort of the last couple of weeks. I said, how's it all going? She's like, you're a genius. It's amazing. They're like nearly stopped. And I said, mm. you so you're accepting it. Like a part of it is accepting this change in your body. So you're not fighting it anymore. And now you've got, the, you know, just your breath is a great tool, right, to bring you into rest and digest. So just consciously doing those breaths. And I said, look, I tried that. Mine went away. Mm. I rarely mm. had And she's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It is that resistance, um, yeah, that creates more, um, you know, the anticipation, anxiety, and but also the, the, the 
if you had any kind of deep tissue body work, the more you tense up around the anticipated touch, the worse, the more painful it is. So yeah. you can just see it as a wave coming and going. And if you've experienced it enough times with success that it will come and go, and then you start to, um, to accept that it's very momentary. It will it abate in its own time. It's impermanent. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's probably, gosh, we could just keep talking all day. What would be the sort of last thing that you would want to leave people listening with when it comes to understanding birth trauma? Or if you'd just like to leave them with a thought to reflect on at the end, what would you like to say? Oh, one thought's difficult because, you know, I think, yeah, you could, um, you could focus on preconception, pregnancy, actual birth, and um, postnatally. My, um, my business name is Feminine Instinct, and it's deliberate because it covers that whole um, fact that we are instinctual beings and mammalian. So, yeah, tuning into the body doesn't lie. If something doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel safe, if you don't feel right on the inside, it doesn't matter what label any professional puts on you or how they try to assess severity or any of those things, you know, to, to look for the right sort of support that can kind of just um, hold you through that uncomfortable place mm. because it, at the end of the day when we talk about birth and families it's about the whole family it's not just the person experiencing it very much all in the same soup so um, what they do for themselves they're doing for all of their loved ones and then it goes out ripples out into the community as well yeah. around them yeah yeah <laughs> wanted to find you so your website is called feminine instincts.com.au isn't it yes it is yeah and then um what's your instagram again your handle i've forgotten it is also feminine instincts with an underscore between the two words yeah and your facebook group is called birth trauma awareness um that's an additional one um i've also got just got a page feminine instincts okay yeah excellent thank you mm -hmm. Thanks so much. That was really fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will get a lot out of it. Thank you, Kelly. I love talking to you. <laughs> Likewise.